Hi there. Welcome to Season 3 of But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. My name is Bert Scholl. I'm a two-time cancer survivor, a cancer survivorship coach, and the creator and host of But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. To learn more about my coaching services, please go to BertScholl.com. That's B-E-R-T-S-C-H-O-L-L.com. We'd also really love your feedback on the show, so please go to BertScholl.com and you can submit your feedback by clicking the contact link and filling out the form at the bottom. Thank you so much. I super appreciate every one of you. And make sure to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Podcast. Today's guest is Diane Zanstra. Diane and her boyfriend, Corey Stone, reside in an historic neighborhood northeast of downtown Nashville with her two cats, Photon and Minnie. They both record and perform together as the duo Coffee With Her, online and in local venues. These days, Diane works for one of the big three major record labels on a global data team with the best group of people she can imagine. In her free time, she and Corey enjoy a great cup of espresso, connecting with friends, running, and living a sweet and simple life. Speaking with Diane left me feeling fulfilled and grateful as she just exuded gratitude for a community that lifted her up in countless ways when she didn't see a way through or was just looking for a little bit of light. Diane, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Bert. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to meet you. You too. So will you start by letting everyone know what kind of cancer you were diagnosed with and how old you were? Sure. I was diagnosed with breast cancer. First time was in 2010, in August of 2010, and the second time was in October of 2016. And how old were you the first time you were diagnosed? First time I was, it was just couple months before my 43rd birthday, so I was 42. Just about to turn 43. I was just about to turn 37 when I was diagnosed for the first time. And uh, a few weeks later, had a birthday. Different kind of birthday. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the world turns on, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. (laughs) So how did you find out that you had cancer? I had just gone for a mammogram because I had, you know, had some, I guess, some some dense parts on, on my breast. It, you know, it wasn't really anything that felt like a bump or certainly not any pain or anything. But it was, you know, getting to, to be about that time, I suppose, maybe a little early to start checking on those things. And so that's when they found that. At that point in my life, I was working in, in nonprofit fundraising, and I was the head of fundraising for a large mental health organization here. And I was out to lunch with, with, with my marketing person and with actually my board chair at the time. And I got the call, and I'm like, oh, I have to go take this. And I ran outside, and they're like, yeah, it's cancer. We're probably going to have to do a lumpectomy. And I'm like, okay, great. Mm. I'll circle back with you. And... <laughs> You know, it was just one of those things where I'm like, okay, well, this is just something else I have to do, is really kind of what my mindset was that first time around, which is kind of crazy when you, when I think back on it now, you know? Right, yeah. So it sounds like you anticipated the possibility of the positive diagnosis, yeah? Sure. I, I... I mean, yes and no. I I, I guess I did. It, it it had been kind of a the the job I was in was pretty stressful. My mom was going. My mom was was older, and and she passed away probably about a year after that. But she was going through, you know, kind of end of life stuff. 
And, you know, so again, it just kind of seemed like here's another one of those things that, you know, we're going to we're going to deal with and figure out. So you got the call and you went back to your meeting. (laughs) Yeah, I did. (laughs) Exactly. Went back to lunch. (laughs) Did you tell them or did you just wait? Was it not a good time? I, my, my coworker, I told, cause she knew what was going on and we were close friends and she had had some of that in her family as well. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell my board chair at the time, even though, you know, I mean, I, I just, you know, I didn't want that lunch to be about that. Yeah. Know? The lunch would only be about that. If that was, if, if you exactly. shared it with them. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, I'll, I'll deal with this later. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the next step? Again, I guess I was lucky. <laughs> it was a, a stage zero diagnosis, you know, a very, very small. So I had a lumpectomy. They also took out some lymph nodes and then radiation after that. Interesting. I w- they took out lymph nodes even though it was a stage zero. Well, they took them out just to, I mean, to check. You okay, know. and that's how they determined it was stage zero? I guess they, they, no, they told me it was stage zero before the the lumpectomy. I mean, they had done a, you know, the needle biopsy, which I don't know, to me, to, to this day, that is still the part that I, I, that I dislike the most of the process. That was not my favorite thing. I had to go, and I, I don't know if this has changed in the past few years. I feel like I've talked to a few friends who, you know, who are going through this, and they had a little bit different experience, but I had to lay on a table and the table has a hole in it for the breast. And then they take that breast and basically put it in a, you know, like you're having a mammogram so they can get it positioned exactly mm-hmm. how they want to. And then they do that needle biopsy and they, you know, you're not knocked out for this. You you are, you get some, you know, numbing and that kind of thing. And a little sedative maybe. A little sedative to kind of, you know, because then, you know, they, they do all that and they're like, okay, hold your breath. <laughs> it's, you know, and so th- that part of it is definitely my least favorite part. Yeah. Yeah. But as far as like my treatment and all of that for the, for the first time around for the lumpectomy, I guess I, I, I did feel very fortunate, you know, here in Nashville, Tennessee, we have incredible hospitals and doctors, and I feel like I've got one of the best. And I, that's just been shown over and over again to me over the past, it's been, I mean, 10 years now since yeah. I've been working with them. I mean, I walk into their office and, you know, everybody knows my name. Hmm. Um, but, I mean, just really a terrific team. And so that that was very comforting. And then also... I don't know. I think the the biggest part about my story, and especially the the second time around, but definitely the first time around too, is uh, is my community. I, I had a friend that would go with me that you know was a nurse, and she'd go with me to my appointments because I was a single gal at that time. And you're getting a lot of uh, you know information, and having that extra set of ears is is a big huge help for sure. So can you say more about that, this community of people that were there to support you? Sure. The first time around, you know, I had family and, and friends and, and all of that kind of thing that helped. But I, I, the thing that kind of rings most to me from the first time around when I went to my radiation appointments, 
I had 33 to go to. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And That's it was. A lot. A, yeah. That's a lot yeah. of radiation. It's, it, it was a lot, you know, but again, the, 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 I feel like the team that I had there, they made me, they made me feel great. You know, it was something yeah. I, I would go to before I would go to work and, you know, you'd have to go down in this, it was in the, in the basement of essentially of the hospital and, you know, and it's, it's big buzzy machines and, you know, all that kind of thing. But when I'd lay down on the ceiling, you know, where the fluorescent lights were, they had like an, an insert in that, that were, that was just like a field of flowers. Mm. And, and, you know, I was, I was a, you know, kind of a non profit executive. And so I was always, you know, going to a lunch or a meeting or, you know, or running a board meeting or something like that. And so I was, you know, always dressed in my going to board meeting stuff and usually had really cute shoes on and which was, <laughs> you know, the only thing that the technicians could see when I was doing my radiation treatments. And so they, they always complimented my shoes and <laughs> I don't know it, they just, they made it like something that, you know, I felt like, oh, I could, I can look forward to seeing these people because I know they really, they're really caring for me. And, uh, yeah. so that, that stuck out in a big way. They're a special group of folks that are in that line of work. They really are. They really are. So, and again, you know, when my, my second diagnosis came around, things were, that was a whole nother, I don't know, uh, just time of stress in my life. I had, I had just uh, left a job. Actually, the the job had made changes and asked me to leave and other folks to leave. They were, mm -hmm. you know, kind of changing things up. So I was about a month out of that. I was also, at that time, I was doing a lot of running and I was training for my second full marathon. Wow. So, yeah. So in 2016, I... Uh, I actually ran two full marathons. I ran over a thousand miles just in that year. Wow. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, that was something I'd been working up to since, I guess I started in 2013. I really had never run at all. And I did a, you know, a couch to 5K program and I got hooked. Oh, that and, is so inspiring to me because I've gotten so far as thinking about running. You know, that's about <laughs> it. Like when I was in my early 20s, I think, you know, mm -hmm. going to college, you know, we had phys ed classes for uh, junior college. And I would get on the Stairmaster and just turn it up to full speed and just run. And I've always that loved sounds that. That sounds horrible. Felt. Yeah, right? And <laughs> by the end of that run... I felt fantastic and I was just, you know, yeah. walking home and just, you know, bouncing on my feet. And Aww. at this point in my life, as I go through, you know, still doing some recovery from cancer, even after all these years, sure, uh, from the treatments and surgeries. And it's crossed my mind that running might be a thing for me to do. And for you to tell me that you went from like no running at all to running Within three years, you did a thousand miles in the last year and ran two marathons. I mean, it's that's it's possible. To hear. And I mean, I you know I was part of a running community that made that possible. And so I've coached 
you know, I started out being a participant and I've, I've coached hundreds of people to do it. Well, we may and have to talk off camera in a little bit. <laughs> Having this is it. over. <laughs> I want to learn a few things. I'd love Great. to. Thank you. But it's uh, that, so two weeks before the second marathon that I was running, I was running in Indianapolis, Indiana. And okay. two weeks before that, I had my, my every, you know, six month checkup and we had been watching something. So in 2015, I was, you know, kind of supposed to graduate from, you know, coming every six months to just once a year to, to mm -hmm. check in to see how I was doing. And in 2015, they started seeing something in, in my right breast. So the left breast was where I had the lumpectomy and radiation. And they saw something there and they're like, well, you know, we're just going to keep watching it. So in October of 2016, two weeks before my marathon, she's like, yeah, I don't like the way that looks. And I want to do a biopsy and we need to check this. And I said, well, I said, that's great, but I'm running a marathon in two weeks. And if we can wait a couple of weeks, that would be great. And she said, sure, that's fine. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. So I ran the marathon. You know, it was a beautiful day. I ran, actually ran it with one of my, my friends. She was actually my very first coach when I started the Couch to 5K stuff. And she's one of these people that is called a uh, marathon maniac. And she's run marathons in every state. Wow, that yeah. sounds like a maniac to me. And it's called <laughs> Couch to 5K? It's actually a yeah. thing? Yeah. Yeah, you oh can look goodness, that. I mean, so great. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. her and I, you know, we traveled there together to do it and ran it together. And, you know, it was, it was, it, and, and I did have some family show up. I'm kind of, I've, I've lived in Nashville for 26, seven years, 20, almost 27 years. But I'm from Chicago, and so a lot of my family's up in Indiana. And so they, mm. they came to cheer me on, like, at mile 9 and 16 and at the end of the race, for sure. Um, but I had also, you know, again, you know, when stress comes, it feels like it comes like a, uh, there was a lot of stress. I had uh, lost my job. My, my brother had passed away that year. Oh, wow. And then, you know, I find out, oh, here you know, you've got to go through this again. So they all came to the race. <laughs> I'll never forget at the end of it, you know, you're grabbing, they're giving you the little, the blankets and stuff. And, you know, at the end of a big race like that, chocolate milk is one of those things that you yeah. like, that that's a good thing to drink. It's got a lot of protein and, you mm. know, it, so anyways, my, my friend and I had both grabbed some and we had gotten them mixed up and, you know, I had told her everything about what was going on and, you know, and I said, well, I, I don't think you're going to be able to catch my cancer from drinking, <laughs> you know, from the wrong bottle. But anyways, I, I didn't know for sure then, but sure enough, I went and got the needle biopsy, which actually took an extra week longer because of insurance stuff. Mm -hmm. Insurance. Oh, it's terrible. Terrible. It's just shameful just how 
you know, the kind of hoops people have to jump through. And, you know, even though I was unemployed, I still had some resources and certainly a community mm-hmm. to help me out. I can't imagine what it's like for people who don't have that. It's just shameful. I know. I know. I've had, you know, two diagnoses and had insurance both times. Great insurance both times. And I just can't imagine what it would be like to have decisions being made based on the fact that I don't have insurance. Or when folks have lousy insurance and they're like fighting for care. One of the things that happens to me right now is I have to have my CT scan pre-approved by my doctor before my insurance company will allow me to go get the CT scan. I'm like, pre-approved? How about this? I've had cancer twice. Yeah. You all have that information, but like, no, like, you know, and I don't know if their hands are tied or however it works, but whatever the reason, it's really too bad because when you are working with doctors so that you can stay alive, hmm. you have to put that yeah. on pause and wait for approval by your insurance. It's a really difficult thing to have to go through. It, it doesn't it really, and, and that was probably the most stressful thing because. Is that right? You know, here I am at the end of the year, I'm, and I've got to decide if I'm going to start with a new insurance plan beginning of the year. Will they accept me? Should I try and cram? So I, I you know, I got the diagnosis, and they want to do a mastectomy reconstruction. And so I, uh, you know, kind of had to, had to work with my doctor and, and his schedule and determine, okay, do we want to cram this in on this insurance before the end of the year or a new insurance at the beginning of the year. And so it was stressful, Uh, but we did, you know, we worked it out and I had the surgery and we scheduled it for um, the end of January in 2017. So here I'm, you know, I'm newly unemployed. I'm trying to find work, but knowing, hey, by the way, I'm going to need a ton of insurance and a bunch of time off. And a bunch of time off. Would you like to hire me? And what was the stage at this point? Uh, The stage was stage one, breast cancer. And they didn't know at the time if, you know, they would want to do, they didn't think they would need to do radiation. And they said they would determine after the surgery if they would need to do chemo. Uh, Fortunately, we did not need to do chemo. Oh, good. So, I mean, my, my doctor, his name is Pat Whitworth here in Nashville. He is incredible. And I just feel, it, you know, in jumping through uh, all those hoops and everything, you know, I always was like, you know, once I get to that day of surgery, I know I'm going to be, I know I'm in the right hands. You know, mm-hmm. it's just dealing with all of these crazy hoops and financial fears and all of that. Sounds like what you're saying. Is this accurate? That regardless of how all the insurance navigation and all the preparation went, once you went in there to have surgery, you knew then at least that you were going to be taken care of the best possible way with a doctor who was like, couldn't be a better match for you. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's so that's so valuable. It's such a wonderful experience. It's so valuable for people to hear because I've 
met with doctors who just were not a match for me. When I was diagnosed yeah. the second time, I ultimately went with Dr. Nancy Kemeny at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had met with a doctor in uh, Rochester, New York at a hospital, cancer hospital up there. I can't think of the name right now. Everybody up here knows it, but it's just not mm-hmm. coming to mind. And as he's talking to me, he just seemed really annoyed that I had taken the time to get a second opinion with him. And he was just saying to me, you know, I do the exact same thing your other doctor's saying. You know, pretty much anything oh. else. And I'm thinking yeah. to myself, can you imagine if, like, I didn't know the value of a second opinion? I mean, it sounds like you were already with a fantastic organization and you didn't feel the need to. Like, let's say I went to Sloan Kettering. I'm like, ah, do I need a second opinion? I mean, maybe. But these, these people are fantastic. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, for folks who don't get a second opinion, don't know they should, don't have the means to or don't believe they can, and they're working with a doctor who's not a match for them. Like such a terrible feeling when you don't feel you can speak up and say what's there for you and you don't feel aligned with that person. It's so important. Yeah, it really is. I know a lot of people who have had to go to go through getting a second opinion and the, and the stress of that. I, Again, I feel really fortunate in being able to work with Dr. Whitworth. And, you know, like I said, I had a lot of friends that were medical professionals as well. And so being able to ask them, like, he mm-hmm. always rose to the top. So I always felt, right? yeah, so I always felt very comfortable with that and still do to this day. I mean, even that actually, when I was going through the issues with the insurance stuff, you know, he took the time to tell me before he did that second biopsy, he's like, you know, I am really sorry that you've had to deal with this. And I mean, you know, he just, he, he, he really cared, you know, in that sense, but then was also this incredible doctor. And, you know, I, I feel like I really couldn't have asked for, for anything better. So I'm very fortunate. And, you know, again, kind of going back to my community. So here I am, I, I get on a individual insurance plan that's, you know, has a very expensive monthly premium and also a very high deductible. And mm. I don't have the cash, you know? And yeah. so this was where my, I, I have to say communities, because there were my uh, running community who put together multiple fundraisers from this yoga class that was one of the most, and I was able to participate in that. It was before my surgery, and it was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. I even wrote a poem about it. It was really special. Hmm. And they also put a fun run together, and they called it, it was a night run, and they called it Headlamps for Headlights, since I needed a new headlight. <laughs> <laughs> and, so between my running community, I've been involved in a number of different churches. I'm a I'm a performer and have sung, yep. yeah, everybody here in Nashville is, <laughs> one way or <laughs> another. Yeah, right? But churches that I've been involved with and been involved with the music with uh, stepped up in amazing ways. And I mean, I just felt surrounded and taken care of. You know, at that point, I had a career in major gift fundraising. And now people are showing up and handing me checks. Yeah. That's quite a humbling and beautiful thing. 
you know, I've learned so much from that. And I've also really tried hard to, to pass that on, you know, when I see somebody else who's going through something. Mm, I agree. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I can't even, I don't know. I can't even explain <laughs> to you what that, what that was. It was truly incredible. Yeah, I'm with you there. I had, I believe we had two benefits for me the first time I was diagnosed. I had a uh, four-month-old son mm. when I was diagnosed, and my stepson was nine years old. Mm. And here we were, you know, with me getting diagnosed and uh, more. You know, it, I had great insurance, but I didn't have income. Yeah. All right, let, let me go back over this. Yeah. So I had great insurance, but I ended up going on disability and not mm-hmm. having income. And it was really difficult and just equally difficult to ask for the financial support. That was a huge hurdle for me. Yeah. I, you know, like you, you know, came from a family where like you just get things done. Sure. And uh, most people in my family, you know, tend to not ask for help. And, uh, you know, at least maybe not the with the community at the community level, and my wife, she made it really clear to me like we can't do this. Like <laughs> we need people's help. And sure. when I was diagnosed the second time, I had a fundraiser. And when people give so much, it for me it changed my experience of the world. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it really does that. You know, my mastectomy, you know, I, I had to buy myself a recliner to sit in because mm-hmm. I didn't have one because, you know, I was out running a thousand miles. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I set up next to my recliner kind of my little command center, you know, this little table with all this stuff that I would need. And one of the things I had was, you know, a box full of cards and thank you cards and I would just write no I finally had somebody said to me who gave me a very very generous gift and you know he just said you don't you don't need to write me a thank you note (laughs) (laughs) because I you know but I just the gratitude it's like I you I can't you can't keep it in yes and so you know I so I was super fortunate to have a lot of help between. So I, after the mastectomy, I, you know, they put in a, uh, um, an expander. And so I had that in for a few months and then I actually was able to get back to some running. And at the end of, so my surgery was the end of January and the end of April, I ran the half marathon here in Nashville and then the week after I had the surgery where they where they take the expander out and put the implant in was the week after that. So how did it feel to run a half marathon after all you'd been through? There must have been that must have really provided you something. It was it, it was pretty amazing and it was a little bit different from my other races cuz I mean I was actually signed up to run the full and I mm. knew I couldn't you know I can I can fake nope. A half marathon, but you can't <laughs> fake a full marathon. There's no way. It's 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 too much. Is there something about that when it gets to the full marathon? What it demands of the body? It changes. Yeah, it really. Yeah, it really does. And 
you know, I just, I, I was in, you know, I was still in decent shape even through, you know, my surgery and, and the recovery and everything. But I, again, I knew I couldn't, I, I couldn't get up to a full marathon in that short of time. But I had a mantra, you know, that I would kind of, things that I would say with every step. I focused the first half of the run, you know, kind of on myself and would say, you know, I'd had little mantras that I would say when I would run and the second half would all be about others and, you know, how hmm. they helped me and would say those things with every step. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's just little tricks. I'm not somebody who runs with like headphones or anything like that on. I want to kind of experience everything that's going on. And, you know, like when I ran the marathon in Indianapolis with my friend, like we made another friend. I mean, because we're out there for hours. <laughs> and, you know, so we made another friend and we still, you know, we're still connected and, and chat on social media to this day. Oh, how sweet is that? And so it's it's just, it's that kind of community. And then the running group, you know, that I started my journey with and have done a lot of coaching with, they always have a party afterwards, and I got the, I got the Woman of Steel Award <laughs> <laughs> at that, and it was you know, and but that community, like I said, had stepped up in in such a way. I just that's what got me through. I I mean, I would not be here. I could not do this mm -hmm. on my own. And between that and you know my. Uh, my Corey, we actually started dating in December of 2016. So just when this was all starting. It's a and great pickup line. <laughs> That's someone I just got diagnosed with cancer for a second time. What are you doing later? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, we, we had actually known each other. We went to school together 30 years ago. <laughs> so, oh, and. Really? We just reconnected, but... That's sweet. But you said yeah. community, and mm -hmm. it's such an important part of navigating cancer. Mm. And yes, it's the donations, but you know, also the time and the energy that people devote to us. Like I have lost track of the, between the two diagnoses, the amount of time and energy and meals and conversations mm. that people provided me. And I'm clear that that was your experience as well. And yeah, it's, you know, it, it's there's something about receiving so much that there's no way that I could ever return it. Yeah, there there really isn't. And I really I mean, I just treasure that, like you said, from the from the, I always talked about it and how people showed up and, you know, not only physically showed up, but just in the ways I. I remember, you know, in those first two weeks, you know, we have, I had the drains in, which completely freaked me out. Mm-hmm. Cyborg. <laughs> and I, I uh, was fortunate to have this amazing neighbor, you know, because I, I was home alone at this time. And I had this neighbor that would come over couple t once once or twice a day because I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't drain them by myself I just was I couldn't do it and emotionally it was just too much yeah I just I, I don't know I just couldn't do it no and I you know can I step in yeah. for a moment like I now have a colostomy from having rectal cancer yeah and when I first had to deal with it 
You know, I'm the kind of person that if I have to do something, great, I throw myself in and I do it. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know, day four in the hospital, I have no memory, but I don't know what day it was. But at some point I looked at the nurse and I said, you know, I had taken over doing it. She'd come in and I would do it. And I said, can you please do it? I said, I just can't today. And what was going on is like, I was heartbroken mm. that I had this thing coming out of my body that I now had to deal with manually and having the drain tube, you know, and moving around and not wanting it to get pulled on, even though it's stitched inside of me and seeing the fluid in there. It just, it had me, it was, it's only in this podcast where I realized that the best way to put words to it is to say, I didn't want to be in my body. I was just like, no, like, ew, yuck. I'm saying yuck to my body. And so I, it's incredible that your neighbor came over and helped you with this because, mm. yeah, well, and I, boy, just the way you said that is is spot on. I mean, I have, and, and at this point, I had spent a lifetime. So I, you know, I'd been a performer back in my twenties, you know, where I had to look a certain way and weigh a certain amount, and you know, even mm. when I started my running journey, um, you know, I wanted to lose some weight and then I lost some and that got me a lot of attention and, you know, so, and now here I am, you know, I've got this and there's still some times where I'm just like, what is this thing in me? And like, even sometimes just the way my clothes, like I have this one pajama shirt that I don't even like to wear anymore because the way it lays on me just feels strange. On... Because of the implants? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just because it's, and I just have one implant, implants. but implants. it's still like, I don't know. It's, and, and certainly the drains, I'm just like, and I had, you know, mm. wore this weird shirt that had pockets in it so I could keep them in there. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, you know, it was just, I, I, it freaked me out. I just yeah. did not want, I, I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be this, this, you know, hot little runner and, you know, I'm just, everything changed and yeah. I fought it for a while, but you know, now I'm, I'm definitely in a place where I'm like, I'm, I'm happy with me and, <laughs> you know, it, it, it took some time. It took to what I'm going to be, I'm going to be. 53 here in, in a few weeks. It took a long time. Birthday but, uh, coming up. Yeah. 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 It takes time. It, it takes time to get, to get, I don't know what's, I'm at a loss for words, like just to get reacclimated with our new body, mm-hmm. with our no longer intact body, with these parts on us that we know they're not really us. Yeah. And how to manage it. Yeah. Well, I was, again, super fortunate with with mine. I did get to, not that everybody wants to know this, but I've listened to some of your other podcasts, so I know people talk about lots of stuff. So. Well, if, you know, it's it's these it's these conversations that I believe provide so much to the listener. It's just when we hear like, okay, like it's not just me. Mm -hmm. who didn't want this stuff attached to me and didn't feel okay with me. Like these intimate and sometimes uncomfortable details to me are the real, you know, diamonds in these conversations. Mm -hmm. So thank you for being willing to talk about it with me. Yeah. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I was again, fortunate with, with great doctors and I did get to, I got to keep my nipple, which I know a lot of folks don't get to. Yeah. And also had some great, as far as occupational therapy and that kind of thing too. They were super, super helpful in that. But, uh, I don't know. Again, I, when I kind of look back on it, I just, I feel fortunate to this day for, you know, for my Corey and for the scores and scores of people, some that I couldn't believe the anonymous gifts that I got. Yeah. That to me is what I'll always tell people that 2017 was the worst, best year of my life. (laughs) Cause it really was. Cause I've never Mm -hmm. felt the kind of just love and caring, real genuine and, you know, it's one of those things that's like, wow, I, I wish everybody could experience this without having to go through the cancer part, <laughs> you know? Oh, I, I so know what you mean. Yeah. It's really, and it, you know, it really makes me look at the other people in my life. Again, I, I try, I'm not perfect, but I really try to find ways to kind of stand up and help others, whether they're going through something like this or, you know, where they're in that kind of time and need. Mm -hmm. I do as well. One of the changes for me after receiving, again, an overwhelming Mm -hmm. amount of support where I simply lost track, uh, it results now. I'll see on social media, someone will say, hey, my friend is going through this. You know, her husband was just in a car accident and they need money while he doesn't work. And I immediately just, boom, I hit. I hit, uh, you know, I click the button yeah. and I give something, you know, maybe it's 20 bucks, maybe it's 50. And sometimes it's been 10, sometimes it's been five. It's just because mm-hmm. I, A, I want to chip in because people have done so much for me. And B, I want the person to know, yeah, maybe I did give you five bucks, but I want to give you something. I received a letter in the mail once from a woman I never met and the handwriting was difficult to read. And there was a check for $10 and she wrote, I read about what you're going through and I wanted to help out. Mm-hmm. I'm on social security and have a very limited income, but I wanted to support mm-hmm. you. And I just started crying. I'm practically crying right now. It's just, you know, yeah. Guarantee like she yeah. went without something to help me and my family. And I, and I had to deposit that check because I would never want to communicate to mm-hmm. her that like her generosity was not worthy. Oh, what a of gift. But you know, you know what I mean. Like I, I had to accept it because the, that was the gift for me to her was to say, "Wow, thank you. I get how generous you're being, and I wouldn't want to take that from her." You know, I'll just rip the check up. I don't want her to spend the money. It's like, no, man. Like it's a communication to her that, like, you know, it, let me I'll say that differently. It allowed her to be a contribution and to be that generous and kind and loving to someone she'd never met. Um, yeah, not finding the words. Yeah. You get, and everybody who hears, they get what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying. It, it was important to to allow her to be a contribution and to, and to and to accept that money from her. And and so now, like you know, people will ask me, you know, <laughs> can your band play a benefit? I'm like, yep. I mean, yeah. I don't know if the band can, but I can. And then I'll think after I say yes, I'm like, I yeah. don't know if it's how this is going to work for my life right now. It's yeah, like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> Cancer it didn't work for my work. life. It, yeah, but I don't. Yeah. 
just just those connections. I, I just the person that popped in my mind now that I, I haven't talked about yet. In fact, I, I need to text her to tell her I'll be in the office tomorrow. But my the occupational therapist, I had really <laughs> bad cording, which is, you know, after the are they you know, your nerves, after they take all this out, your nerves don't know where to go and what to do. So they just start trying to attach. And ah. so I would feel this pain, like, you know, all the way down my arm, like to the, you know, like to the bottom of my thumb. And so she would do what was essentially, I mean, I had to do different exercises and that kind of thing, but she would also do what was, what was essentially like a lymphatic massage and she's mm-hmm. like, we're just going to pop those cords. And I'm like, well, let's not talk in those terms, but okay. <laughs> but uh, so Let's I not had... pop anything, okay? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, my sessions with her were usually about an hour. And, you know, this was at the beginning of, of my relationship with Corey, and I was kind of unsure about it. You know, there was another person that I was kind of interested in. And, you know, I don't know. I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as she's working on me, we would have these long conversations about, you know, all of that. And so we just became, you know, great friends. And then at one point, Corey came in with me so she could show him some things that he could do to kind of help me with this. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing, you know? I mean, he got a a little emotional. A little verklempt. um, Yeah, a little verklempt. Uh, at one point, but, you know, she's just a, you know, she's just a dear friend. And in fact, just before the whole pandemic thing, we were, we were texting back and forth and she's like, I'm dating somebody new. Let's the four of us go out. And, you know, now Mm. of course we haven't been able to do that. So that'll be one thing. But, you know, again, even though I, I have to go in the office tomorrow and it'll probably be routine unless it isn't routine, Mm. you know, like it goes, but I do kind of go, okay, I get to I get to see these people that are friends and that have cared so much for me. I, you know, gosh, I'm fortunate, you know? Yeah, you are. And it sounds like Corey being there was just, and his emotional response was just an expression of love and the opportunity to be a contribution to you. He's yeah. getting to know you. He's all just googly-eyed <laughs> about you. And then he's like, wow, I really get to chip in and make a difference and contribute to her like he really did right what a beautiful thing what a great guy he really did and and still does and he he, you know he's one of those people that just shows up in the most beautiful way for me and for for a lot of other people well how about this why are you on the podcast because (laughs) i reached out to our mutual friend mike yeah, we were, I was actually talking to mike about the possibility of adopting a uh, or buying whatever it would be a a hypoallergenic cat. I'm talking to cats, dogs, I don't know. And then I told them oh, about I love the podcast, it. right? I told them about the podcast <laughs> and how I'm really struggling with the recording and mm-hmm. more the, the post-production editing. Yeah. And he said, you know, I've got a friend, Corey. I think uh, he's such a generous guy. You know, I'm sure he'd be willing to help you. And I was like, wow. Like, you know, when someone yeah. says, I have a friend who's never met you, who will just be more than happy to help you. Like that's so when you speak of Corey, like that's what I think of the guy. You're just like, he has no reason to help me other than he's just a great guy. Yeah. And he want, and, 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 and clearly it means something to him to be a contribution. Yeah. Sounds oh. like you really scored. <laughs> I, I feel like I did. And thank you for saying that because nothing makes me happier than for, for other people to see, 
you know, what uh, what a bright light he is. Yeah, and, and, yeah, I'm so glad. And so he and I were chatting. I told him we're doing this podcast, and he goes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And now here you are. Yeah. You also mentioned this neighbor of yours that helped you with the drains when you were living yeah. alone, and I'd love to hear about that. Well, again, she was a friend from running. Her husband, actually, I ran with more, and he was a, a you know, when I was coaching, he was he was a coach and led a lot of the coaches in some of the longer distances. And, you know, I had just kind of put a call out asking folks, you know, if if I could find some help with this. And, you know, we were we were friends, but, you know, never really like hung out a lot or did anything like that. And she just stepped up and said, hey, I've, I've helped somebody else with this. So I know what it's like. I'd be happy to come over. And I mean, she literally lived around the block and again, made an incredible difference because I, I couldn't do it. I just, I couldn't. And I've, you know, I've helped, I actually had another friend, another running friend. She was a few weeks behind me in her diagnosis and treatment. And she had a little bit different route. Like she could, she would throw her trains over her shoulder and I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and take care of them herself. I just, I just, I didn't have it in me to do that. So it was great to have somebody to help with that for sure. Yeah, like that person being there by your side. As you spoke about that, it reminded me of when I was getting chemo. Mm. I would go in, I'd get the steroids, I'd get the anti-nausea meds, I'd get the chemo, and then when that was, the bag was empty, they'd hook up a different chemo, and I'd have a pouch, like a little oversized Walkman full of chemo that would pump into me for the wow. next 48 hours. Holy and when, cow. Yeah, and then I'd go back on. So I'd go in on Wednesday and go back on Friday, and they would detach it and send me mm-hmm. home. And I'm in the shower, and there's the chemo pump going into my port. I don't know if you're familiar with a port, but it's a, oh, little, yeah. Yeah, a little silicone thing inside your chest under your clavicle that, for those of you who are listening, it's way easier on the veins to have chemo and blood drawn, um, blood draws all going through a port because it's it runs right from under your skin over the clavicle and into the, I guess it would be a vein maybe that goes into the heart. Mm-hmm. And it's way easier on the, than going through the veins in your arms all the time because they can collapse and they can create problems. And so the chemo would be connected to that. And then, you know, I go to get in the shower and I have the chemo bag. Oh gosh, I feel kind of nauseous right now just thinking about it. It was really difficult to have a chemo bag attached to a hook outside the shower where the towel goes. And then I'm a chemo bag, a chemo... Yeah, like a little little fanny pack kind of thing hanging off there. And then there's the IV line going into my shower. And yeah. you know, I'm trying to keep the water and the soap off of the yeah. port area. But it was just like we have these things hanging out of our bodies. And it, it's amazing how unsettling it is. Unsettling. Exactly. I mean, because like you said, I think you said earlier, like, you know, I know it's sewn into me and... Like I would just, you know, I would have this fear that it would somehow drop and come out and then I'd be there alone and, Mm. uh, uh, you know, so I was always extra careful. I did go out some with the drains, but not much because I felt really uncomfortable with that. And I can't imagine having it for this 
extended period of time, which it sounds like you probably did with the chemo. Yeah, it was six months. Uh, oh, my god! Both times I had cancer. But wow. I will tell you, I don't remember which diagnosis it was. I, gosh, I, I, I just don't know. But uh, in the town I live in, in Ithaca, New York, mm-hmm. on Tuesday, or was it, let's see, Reggae Tuesday? Yeah. Reggae Tuesday. There was like an open mic Reggae Tuesday thing. And <laughs> the guy great. who taught me, who inspired me to write songs and play music and was my motivation. To, and my other friend was my motivation to uh, start playing the guitar. These guys' names are Kevin and Rob. And we have this uh, three-part harmony group. Uh, oh, I we, love it. Yeah. And we would do reggae tunes or take a tune and kind of give it a reggae groove, you know. Especially because I don't write reggae tunes. I write more like, you know, outlaw, honky-tonk, country kind of stuff, storyteller okay. stuff about my life. Yeah. <laughs> and they'll kind of like give a reggae groove to that. And so we'll learn these three-part harmonies. And they wanted me to come out and sing with them. And I would just be like, fellas, like I'm on chemo. Like I can't do this. And one day I either called or texted one of them. And I said, I don't know what's going on, but I think I got to go out to Reggae Tuesday and sing. So when it was our turn to get up there and you know there's a band that backs you up right and they're all buddies of ours folks we know and i'm up there singing with them and i have this chemo thing pumping chemo into my body and in that moment i was like i don't care if anyone sees it because i I didn't want to keep it hidden but i didn't you know it's just you know it's like i don't mind telling people i have cancer but someone's like hey what's that you're like oh it's chemotherapy and all of a sudden they're just like you know oh um i was basically kind of saying hello and now I'm suddenly having a conversation with you about chemo and that you have cancer. And it's just, whoa, <laughs> that's a lot. But being up there was such a liberating moment. And uh, I think it really helped me yeah. get super comfortable with carrying around this chemotherapy and this pump running into my body. You know, it's a, uh, it's because it was hard to go out in public and. Yeah, I bet. And to be carrying that around knowing that it's going inside you and you with your drains and like you know i don't want to go out i got drains like what if something happens what if they get caught on something you know i when i'm using when i'm not using my wireless earbuds and i'm on my phone if i'm using the wired ones yeah and i turn and the wire catches on something and it just rips it out of your ears and gives you an experience that can really only be expressed the really loud (laughs) expression of profanity i think it's the only way to deal with it is you have to yell (laughs) profanity at the top of your lungs (laughs) And it's, you know, we don't want to rip these things out. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely that feeling. But, you know, when you were talking about kind of feeling that feeling liberated and and being up there singing, I mean, that's, you know, kind of in my mantras when I ran that that half marathon. I mean, I felt that way, too. I'm like, I I, I didn't have the drains in then. That was long past that. But uh you know, mm-hmm. there's something about getting out there and doing the things that, you know, you love to do that, you know, that are your normal, that you still can do and, and mm-hmm. should do. So I think that's, I think that's incredible. 100%. And like you, like you said, to know, I can't imagine what that would be like to know, okay, this is pumping, I mean, poison into your body to help you, right? The chemo. Mm-hmm. I mean... Golly, that's that's really something. That's, thanks yeah, for sharing and, that. And you really <laughs> brought attention to something like when one of the nurses was priming the IV line 
for the mm-hmm. chemo. She spilled some on the tile floor, and she quickly yelled to one of the other nurses to come clean it up. And I'm like, is there a concern here? Like, what's going to happen? She goes, oh, yeah, it'll eat right through the, you know, the wax on the, over the tile. Oh, my God. I'm like, and you're putting that into my body? She's like, yeah. I'm like, ay, ay, ay. <laughs> what is going on? Yeah, so it's, it's something else. But, you know, I said earlier that off-thread, you know, uh, off-camera, we can talk about running. But then mm-hmm. you started sharing about, you know, essentially you had a gratitude mantra yeah, as yeah. you ran. And I started thinking about, you know, how so many of us post-treatment want to reclaim our bodies. Hmm. And you run. And so I would love it if you could take some time to tell me and everyone about just, you know, give us an idea of like what did it take to go from couch to 5K? <laughs> Well, it it took a lot of time and and patience for sure. So, I mean, the the great thing about those kinds of programs and in particular the one that I've done over and over and I've coached over and over, it's, you know, it's 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 a process and it's, you know, it's it's starting out in small increments of you know, of running and walking. So, maybe the first time you'll You'll run for 90 seconds, walk for 60 seconds. You'll do that five times. You'll have a five-minute walk on the, on the front, five-minute walk on the end, and that's it. And then you, mm. keep, you keep adding to that until you, get up some, until you get up to distance, and then you start, you know, running the distance. But I have to be, it, it took me, so the first 5K that I ran, I couldn't run the whole thing. And it took me to my third 5K where I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to run this whole thing. Like I knew it. And Mm. I remember it. It was a Germantown Oktoberfest. Uh, We have a little Germantown here in Nashville. It was an Oktoberfest and they have a a great little race. And actually part of the race runs inside of the farmer's market here in downtown Nashville. And that was near the end of the race. And I was, I got to that point and I'm running. I'm like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to run this whole <laughs> damn thing. And so it was thrilling. And then a year later, I ran that race and I came in third in my age group. So I had gotten a lot yeah. faster. And, but it's, you know, it's a lot of, I, as I tell all new runners and I've, I've worked with, hundreds of them, Um, you know, since I've went through that, then every year after I've been a coach to, uh, to help folks and then have worked with the local running store and done um, some of those too. But you you just got to kind of take the time and give yourself a lot of grace, realize you're going to have, even after, I mean, I remember when I was training for the second marathon, I think I had a 15 mile run in summer, yay, in mm. Nashville. And I think I was nine or 10, 12, somewhere miles in, nine, nine miles in. And I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. I have to stop. I can't, I, I, I wasn't breathing. My, my ears felt like they were filling up. Mm. And so I just stopped. I was probably about a mile from home. And so I had to walk back home, maybe a little under a mile from home. But, you know, I still could finish my training and I could still run the marathon. I just had a crappy run that day. Mm. But, you know, you just kind of have to keep at it. But the biggest thing for me, again, was really 
giving myself a lot of grace and having a community to kind of work on these goals with. And I still have, I have my own little running group now. We call ourselves happy running people. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, most of us, most, most of the folks in the group have run at least one half marathon. And actually the group is just getting together to kind of start doing a couch to 5k training again, because, you know, it's been a little while and I actually need to do that too. I've had some foot issues and I've just kind of taken a break from running for the last little bit and I feel like I want to get back in it but having that community to you know to meet up with to talk with to encourage you know it makes a big difference yeah it sounds like you're talking about getting through a cancer diagnosis too. yeah well giving and yourself those... a lot of grace and yeah. On community. <laughs> yeah wonderful exactly. so so you do a five-minute walk and then you run for 90 seconds, then walk for 60? Is that what it was in the beginning, essentially? <laughs> well, I'd have to look at, essentially, yeah. I mean, it's these, you know, intervals of, and then you keep you keep expanding it. I'm sure there's apps, and I mean, you can look up on the internet, too. There's okay. all kinds of training plans for couch to 5k for really any distance and they're all essentially the same but it's you know you start with kind of time instead of distance you know so I'm going to run in these it's interval running and the intervals increase until you get to a point like okay I'm going to run for you know we're going to run for 20 minutes today Mm. and then at some point you get like okay we're going to do a quarter mile so that's essentially how it uh it just kind of progresses along. Can a beginner start with whatever sneakers they own, or do you recommend like that they buy some proper sneakers? I would buy some proper sneakers. I actually worked at the the local running store for a few years. What are um, proper sneakers? Too, and it's different for what everybody. There's um, no commercials you know, here. You can just say like, what, what are your <laughs> what What did you start with? <laughs> I started with a brand called Newton, which actually I ran both, did most of my early running in those and ran both marathons in those. And now I run in Mizuno shoes. I've run in Brooks. I've run in a brand called On Cloud, and they have like Cloud Flyer and those kinds of things. But it really kind of depends. If you're first starting out, you want to have, you want to have a little bit of cushion. You don't want a minimal shoe because running is it's hard on your body so you want to have a little bit of cushion and I think it's a good idea to get fitted because you know some people if you pronate which is like your ankles kind of collapse mm-hmm. in or if you supinate which is they kind of roll yeah. out essentially for for people who pronate you need a little extra you need what's called a stability shoe because it'll give you a little extra supports because Think about it. If your if your ankles are collapsing in, then think about mm. the alignment of the rest of your body and your knees. Yeah. Da, 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 da. So that the main thing, whether you're trying to run a five k or a marathon or an ultra or any of that, the, the certainly the goal is to cross the finish line. But the, the real goal is not to get injured while you're trying to cross that finish line because <laughs> you know you want to keep your training going. Yes. <laughs> you don't want to stop. So that's valuable to hear if you want to take this on and step into this, then you have to keep in mind that injuries are quite possible. And so you want to get ahead of that and not set yourself up for failure. 
Yeah, yeah. It's going to hurt. I mean, I guaranteed it's going to hurt, but, you know, it's you got to try and discern what's, you know, just kind of normal muscle pain and if you're, you know, if you're really injured. So, yeah. Anyways, it's, uh, I mean, I'm happy to send you, I'll, I'll send you a couple of different couch to 5K plans. And I mean, you can do it on your own, but I, and it's hard to kind of gather in communities yeah. right now, but there's something very special about training yeah. and running in a community. I mean, I remember the first time I ran 20 miles and it was a really hard day. It was a hard run. I was struggling bad at the end. And I got to the end and I was kind of hyperventilated mm. and cried. <laughs> and I'll never forget that group of people just kind of coming around me. And, you know, and I've seen other folks that have had some of those kind of same experiences. It is, uh, you, you kind of have to put it all out there, especially when you start running some of these longer distances. But there's something really special about being able to do that with a group of people that are kind of striving towards yeah. that same goal and encouraging you towards I'm it. Sure, you know, similarly, yeah. as listeners hear this podcast, you know, they are hearing other people who are going through a similar struggle. And there's so mm. much available out of having the understanding of others. Now, granted, when you're in physical, you know, when, when you're with one another in a group and someone can support you in that moment when you're down, when you're hyperventilating and crying because you've just pushed yourself beyond what you were at all prepared for, that, that's a real special thing. And of course, you know, in person is so valuable. And here we are doing mm -hmm. this so people can get an idea of what you've been through and what was the hardest part and what was, uh, what lifted you up. And that information mm. means so much. I believe so. That's why I'm here. <laughs> well, I appreciate this. Yeah. It's, it helps to talk about it for oh, sure. Good. Yeah. And me too. Like I feel so lucky. Like you're the 22nd guest so far hmm. and wow. I don't post these in order. So people, as you're listening right now, you're like, wait, but this is only podcast number blah. Well, I try to mix them up, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so they don't get released in order of the date they are recorded. But I do put the recorded date on the bottom of the timestamps. Okay. So you had the expander in and mm -hmm. you ran a half marathon doing your beautiful gratitude mantra. Yeah. And then it came time to put in the implant. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was a week after the half marathon. And that, you know, at that point, I had been poked and prodded and had enough surgeries and painkillers and all that good stuff that it was, it was pretty easy. It's outpatient. They just take out and slip the new one in. Outpatient. Oh yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they knock you out. So, I mean, that part's nice, but, uh, yeah. So I was, you know, back home that afternoon and was doing well. Actually, the, one of the crazy things that happened not long after that, Corey and I had, it was a beautiful day and we were walking kind of all over. It was during the Stanley Cup finals and the Nashville Predators were in the finals. Hmm. We went to a baseball game and then we went, we walked down by the arena after everybody was coming out and because there was a lot of excitement in town. And I mean, we walked for miles and this was probably four or so days, four or five days after 
And then we went out. There's a, you know, a really groovy little outdoor um, bar restaurant place in the the hip little neighborhood I lived in at the time. And we walked over there and, you know, and had a drink. And then we were walking back probably about at nine o'clock at night to my place. And we were held up at gunpoint. Oh, my. Yeah. And, you know, I, it was crazy. We were unharmed, but at one point he started kind of grabbing at, you know, my arm and on the side where I've had all this surgery. And, you know, I was kind of, it, it's one of those things that happens quickly, but it feels like it's in slow motion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was kind of, yelling the whole, whole time, why are you doing this? And da, 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 and he got away with a little bit of cash and, and Corey's wallet, but, you know, we were unharmed and able to, you know, get back home. But it's it was a scary thing. And, I mean, I did at one point, you know, say, you know, because when he didn't think we were moving fast enough and what he wanted, that's when he started kind of grabbing at me. And I'm like, you know... I just had surgery, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> you told him that what, yeah, I did. I did. And, you know, he, uh, you know, thank goodness it didn't get any more physical than that. You yeah. know, nobody got thrown down or hit or certainly, you know, no one got shot, mm. but it was a scary, very scary moment. And, you know, I still sometimes have issues to this day. I get very nervous walking at night if I, you know, feel or hear something behind me because he kind of came up behind us and it seemed really unreal. Yeah, it makes sense that it would still arise for you and there'd still be that fear, you know, because it changed your experience of the world. Yeah. And then after I've gone all through this and I've, you know, survive this and I've come through that and I've had my, you know, hopefully my last surgery for a while. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, this guy could do something and, you know, change the course of all that. So, you know, luckily that didn't happen. Right. Yeah. But, uh, yikes. I'm so sorry to hear that. And I'm glad you got out of it with just a loss of money and a, you know, some idea, some ID and credit card or whatever, you know, just, yeah, no, we were okay. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess the other thing too. So then, you know, we started out this conversation kind of talking and or in parts about insurance and all of that. So, you know, now that I've had all these surgeries, you know, I've hit my deductible. So I'm like, all right, this is the year I'm going to knock everything out. <laughs> <laughs> but it turned out I also ended up and I... I've heard it's it it can be a side effect of so I take tamoxifen every day now and I had early onset cataracts so I had to have cataract surgery in both my eyes. Mm. I was fifty. That's still fairly young, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I had that surgery and uh, and then I went and had and had my you know first colonoscopy in in 2017 so i good i kind of you know hit hit all of it but uh yeah i'm i feel like i'm uh 
you know, if I don't have to go for surgery again for a long time, I'll be okay with that. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you for getting the colonoscopy. And now the age is bumped down to 45. So if you're listening and you're 45 years old or older and you haven't had your first colonoscopy yet, or you're not already doing them, it is time to do them. And what is it, like every five years or something like that? Yep. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, you hear all these horror stories about it. It really, I mean, it's not that bad. (laughs) No, the worst (laughs) part about getting a colonoscopy is the prep day the day before. Yeah. But even that, like, I mean, yeah, it wasn't fun, but I was, I don't know, I I expected to feel just really, really drained and horrible and it just didn't. And you didn't. You know, it was, it was okay. And again, I'm, and I've been super fortunate in all these surgeries to have in, incredible doctors. So yeah, just wonderful. Feel lucky. Great. So the tamoxifen is that something mm-hmm. you take for how many years? Is that taken for? Um, well, I've been t- taking it to, since I actually the first time around after I had the lumpectomy, they had me take it, and I was just getting lots of side effects of you know sweats and all of that kind of stuff and. Mm. You know, they, I, I said, do I really need to keep taking this? And they said, probably not, you know, and so I went off of it. But since the second go around, I take it every day. And, you know, I mean, it's just a pill. I mean, I think it helps. But, you know, who knows? We'll find out every time, you know, I go in to get to get checked. But I'm, again, feel fortunate I haven't had to go through what you and a lot of others have with the chemo. Yeah, chemo's pretty yucky. Yeah, yeah. And you've been diagnosed twice, and that's yeah. no small situation. That's a heck of a thing. I mean, for me, I'm curious what it's like for you, because for me, when I was diagnosed the first time, you know, once I got my head back on straight after about a month, mm-hmm. I thought to myself, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to be okay. You know, I mean, I had my moments of fear and upset, but I stayed on the trajectory of I'm going to get through this, and I'm going to be okay, and I'm going to be on the other side eventually. And then I was diagnosed a second time, and that just knocked me off my feet. Yeah. And it had me think, okay, this is not what I thought it was. You know, my life, you know, like diagnosed a second time. You know, for me, it was a stage four diagnosis. I'm like, okay, I'm going to die. You know, Mm -hmm. and I didn't. And I'm still here. And I just saw my primary physician a few hours ago for, I'm having this weird uh, pain in my behind where my, you know, I mean, I'm trying to listen to me, trying to be, um, think of a polite way to say it. So because of the colostomy, my, okay. my backside is all stitched up and there's some sure. sharp pain I'm having back there and it's been consistent and I don't quite understand it. And at this point in my life, I'm like, okay, it's been a couple of months. It's not going away with all I've been through. I have to get it checked out. Indeed. And so mm-hmm. I go and see her and she's like, there's my amazing patient. I'm like, you're amazing patient. She's like, yeah, you've had cancer twice. You had metastatic cancer, your liver, and you're still here. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible thing to get that call. And so you did get, you know, I don't want to step over that. You're saying, yeah, you didn't go through chemo, but yeah, you've been diagnosed with cancer twice. And that's. Uh, yeah. And there is something about thing. that. Again, like the, the first diagnosis you know, I was like, okay, I'll get a lumpectomy. And, you know, that was outpatient and radiation. And I would go do that and I'd go to work and, you know, yeah, it affected my life, but you know, I had good insurance and, and all that. But the second time around, you know, it came in a year of just a lot of loss 
there was a, actually earlier on in that year, there was a loss of a relationship, which, I mean, it was a good thing that that one was gone. It was a very kind of toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. There was the loss very unexpectedly of my brother, the loss of a job. And, you know, I was just kind of grinding through and running was kind of, you know, helping me do that. I felt like that here's a place I can push myself and, you know, feel good about a result because I'm not getting results in anything mm-hmm. else. And so, I mean, I was, you know, in, a, in an emotional sense, was in a, a really rough place. And then when the diagnosis came, I remember saying to a, a friend, a running friend, some of us had gotten together for like a, a Sunday where we would, this, this is going to make me sound a thousand years old, but we would like crochet and knit. Mm-hmm. We'd also have wine and snacks and, and whatnot. And I was leaving that and I'm just like, you know, I, I'm, I'm just done. I, I don't know what else to do. You know, I mean, I can't like, I, I, I've got this and I've got to do something about it, but I don't know how or where. And I'm just, I'm just spent. I, you know, I can't mm-hmm. do this anymore. And she's one of those, now I'm getting emotional. She's one of those people that heard that as like a, a rally cry. And she, you know, went out and, and gathered the troops. Um, and there's another friend in this that was kind of a quiet friend who, I mean, he drove me to, to my biopsy. He actually, his, his mother had, had died of breast cancer and had written this, this book that he gave me. And he just, one of the things that he taught me after this, you know, toxic relationship that had, that I had been in earlier in the year, he, this, this man had taught me, you know, that there's still good men out there and Hmm. that are good people and will show up and care and not expect or gaslight or, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And so those were two very important relationships there. But I did, I did realize when I got this diagnosis that it was different just from the way, you know, kind of the doctors were talking to me about it, the way, you know, friends and, and others would react when I would tell them it just like, I could feel the gravity of it a lot more um, mm-hmm. than I did the first one. The first one I was like, you know, I'm 43. I'm, you know, have this big important job. I've got to do that. I've got to raise money and look cute in these shoes and all of this. <laughs> and, you know, this time I'm like, how am I going to keep my house? And how am I going to even pay for this? You know, how is this going to happen? How am I going to take care of myself? So a lot more gravity in that second one. You know, again, when I go to my appointments, they're all routine until they're not. So, you know, I'll never forget even that first time, you know, when I went for that mammogram, they're like, yeah, we want to do an ultrasound. Yeah, we're, you know, so what was supposed to be a, you know, an hour visit, all of a sudden you're there for three hours. And then, you know, all the luncheons and meetings that I had planned that day, you know, everything had to get changed. You know, there's always that. And so I do like to, you know, kind of take, if, if I can, if I don't have to work the day I even, when I have my routine appointments, I like to do that. <laughs> Just in case they're not routine. <laughs> yeah. And I'm with you there. And sometimes for me, it'll just be 
the level of emotion that arises for whatever reason at that like routine scan that has me just realize, you know, I'm not going back to work. I'm so glad that I am not going back to work right now and don't have anything scheduled because it just all came up. My last scan was in December. I have an annual scan now. Mm-hmm. And I've been having some pain in the area around my liver. I you know, wasn't sure what it was. And then every year at the scan, the nurse practitioner presses her hand into my liver and asks me to take a deep breath. And I did, and it hurt. Mm-hmm. And in the 10 minutes between the time that I saw her and the doctor came in, I had begun to prepare how I was going to navigate the chemo and how I'd work every other week because the chemo is, is so much and so difficult. And seeing this whole thing pass before my eyes, and then my doc comes in. She goes, okay, scan was clear. You're doing well? Yeah. Wow. I mean, like, and then I'm just going to go back to work after that? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then not to mention, you know, I feel sick generally after I have the scan because I had a reaction, a mild reaction. So now I get prednisone and Benadryl. Oh, wow. In preparation, you know, before I do the scans. I'm actually going to ask them if they can uh, reduce the dose. I have a very sensitive system. And when they give me standard dosage, it's so much for me makes me yeah. wacko. And so, you know, after that as well, you know, it's just not, it's not uh, something I want to go back to work from. Currently, my scans are in New York, so I don't even get to work by the time I get home, you know? Yeah. Four-hour drive to New York or just oh, taking the bus. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the Cornell bus, it's pretty amazing. The university provides free bus rides for people going to New York City to see their doctor about a cancer diagnosis. Uh, And the local cancer resource center, yeah, local cancer resource center, it's through them. So you reach out to them and let them know I'm going down to get a scan. And Cornell provides me the ride. And it's such a generous thing. That's incredible. It's a nonstop ride to New York. And like, you know, I'm going down there with the pain around my liver, already wondering, already being concerned. I can just sit back, watch a movie or do some work or listen to a book. And it's worth mentioning on this because I'm so appreciative and so grateful for it. You know, I just want to see more and more of that around. No kidding. I, you know, I wonder about, again, because I'm, you know, here in, in the city, but when I've gone in for different treatments or surgeries, you see folks and they talk about how they live three and four hours away. Uh-huh. And it's, God, that's, that's a huge stress. So what a gift that you, you've got that service. That's really amazing. It sure is. It sure is. It's uh, something I'm very grateful for. Yeah. I want to get back to it, though. You said that, mm-hmm. you know, you ended a relationship, which is good, and then you lost your brother, mm-hmm. and you lost your job, mm-hmm. and then you were diagnosed with the My recurrence? second, yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's so much. Yeah. <laughs> it was and a you're lot. Lo- you're looking at that year, and you're just like, uh, excuse me? Yeah, yeah like, my my marriage ended in 2010, and then I lost my job in January of 2011, and then I moved out of the house in May of 2011, and got diagnosed with a recurrence in September of 2011, and that was just oh, like geez. in 10 months. You know, so I'm looking at you, I'm like, yeah, I can relate to that. It's like, hello, <laughs> exactly, relationship, job, <laughs> and cancer again. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, and then it just kind <laughs> of, yeah. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's, it's not funny, <laughs> but it is, <laughs> it's like but the, the absurdity really? of it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so running really got you through that. It really did. Helped. Running helped. It did help. And again, that, that community of people, I can't even like just sitting here talking to you, you know, in my mind are just kind of, I'm a very visual person. So mm -hmm. in my mind are just kind of the, the pictures of the faces of the people and mm. how and when they showed up, you know, and, you know, I was told one of the people that was helping organize the race asked another runner, somebody who I've, I've run a number of miles with, he's a much better runner than me, but he's organized, you know, huge musical events and, and other running events. And, and, you know, and they said, would you be willing to, to help out and donate? And, you know, without hesitation, he's like, absolutely. Hmm. And, you know, that was the response from so many people. And then it's the little, the little big things. Those are my favorites. You know, I think of my, you know, in those first two weeks after surgery, you can't wash your hair. And I'm a gal. I'm kind of vain. I like my hair to be cute. <laughs> I like it to smell good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, my, my hairdresser, you know, said, well, come on over. And she washed my hair they, and she didn't charge me anything for it. And Aww. I'll never forget like getting in the car and like the car smelled amazing. Like, you know, cause my hair smelled so good. Yeah. And that was, that was a big little thing, you know, that was a small thing for her to do. And, and, you know, my stylist, you know, she's the one who like owns the shop and cuts hair, but like she took the time to wash my hair and, and that was huge. And there were lots of, just little gifts like that, that just meant so much mm -hmm. and that I still, mm -hmm. I still draw on, you know, we've, we've got a lot going on in our times where you lose faith in humanity and, you know, it's nice to go back and go, wow, there's still really some incredible beauty that I got to experience. And I'm going to, I'm going to lift that up and hold on to that for a little while. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there is far more beauty and generosity and kindness and love in this world than not. It's just that if you are not selective of, you know, where you gather your information from, if you just put on the news, bad yeah. news sells papers, bad news sells advertising. Sure and enough. I now follow like, you know, there's a, a good news. There's different media feeds that I'll follow on Instagram where it's just good news. It's just people yep. doing incredible things. And I do it with intention because, you know, I create a structure in my life that routinely, consistently presences me to the incredible generosity of human beings. Mm -hmm. Because that's not in the current design of this market economy. Like right. it, right. You know, love it, love it or hate it, it's irrelevant. It's just not part of the design. So you have to really create it for yourself. And yeah. like you said, I have a friend, Michelle, who through my treatments, she would come to my home and cut my hair because she was the person who cut my hair. And she, you know, mm -hmm. I adore her. I love her ridiculously. She's wonderful. So many people do. And <laughs> she would come to my home and cut my hair. Hmm. And, and when it was happening, you know, I was so thankful and I was sick and I wasn't feeling well. But I look back now and I'm like, you took time out of your day to come to my house every few weeks, every month or whatever. Not to mention she came over and helped out with so many other things. She's incredibly generous. But yeah, it's like those kinds of things. Like your hairstylist, you know, she just brought you in, washed your hair so it could be nice and clean and gave you that. I mean, it, 
as you describe it, it was more, you know, it wasn't clean hair. It was something, it was the whole experience of having your hair washed and then having it smell good and having mm -hmm. felt cared for. Yeah. And what she did was wonderful. What she did provided you way more than the wonderful clean hair that you were thrilled about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> provided so much more. <laughs> exactly. I mean, well, that and there's, I, I have another friend coming to mind that was, uh, I called her my, my, my taco angel. <laughs> and she was, uh, I mean, I love tacos. Who doesn't? Right. Um, but, uh, she, she was one of those people. She was actually, uh, um, a volunteer that I worked with in, in the fundraising work that I did. And she's just a beautiful soul, a beautiful artist. Oh, she's a beautiful artist. And, you know, when she heard what was going on, she called me immediately and like put her best organizing skills to work. She's like, all right, we're going to set up this website. We're going to do this. We're going to have, you know, and that was an amazing way for, for her to show her love, you know, and, you know, because she, she's got this great energy and, you know, was able to, to pull together lots of, I've been fortunate to be part of a lot of really generous communities and she was able to kind of pull all of those together in a way. And it was, it was just so special. It was just a special time for our friendship in that too, mm, you know? Yeah. So those are just like, I mean, those little glittering memories <laughs> that, yeah. you know, I get to look back on and really just feel that, that love and caring that, and that we need to show more of to each other, you know? Yes. Again, like I said before, without having to go through, I, I don't wish it on anybody, but I, I wish folks could, could see that and feel that and have a real understanding and empathy for what somebody else is going through, whether you, whether you know what that is or not. You know, we don't all have to, like what you were saying about, you know, the kind of economy that we live in, it's all about, you know, we have to conquer and blah, 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 blah. And I mean, sure, I was doing a lot of that when I was trying to run. And, you know, I've got to be big and strong and do all these things. But there's, you know, the things that are really meaningful are, you know, that, that neighbor that comes over for 20 minutes and empties your drains and, you know, we talk about our day. Or you know, the hairstylist who makes your hair smell so good, it makes your car smell great. And you, yeah. you know what I mean? There's those, those are the things that really matter. Really they matter. are. And what I'm hearing in your speaking is we can bring that to people in our lives mm -hmm. without having someone have to get diagnosed. Yeah. Like, you know, each one of us can incorporate that into our week. So this time this week, I'm going to go out of my way to do something for someone, to create the w kind of world that I want to live in, the kind of world that, that lifted me up when I was down, because we're all going through something. Yeah. Right now. Every, I mean, aside from, you know, the insanity of this world right now, in our personal lives, like, somebody's always got something difficult that they're dealing with. You know, we have our moment, we have our runs of when everything feels like, you know, we're on top of the world, but... Life is never uh, shy about bringing some difficulty and some struggle into our life. It doesn't necessarily have to be cancer, you know, and it, it could be, you know, with ourselves or with a loved one or a friend, you know, and we can choose to, again, 
you know, create the world we want to live in by who we are with our community. Yeah. And that's I, beautiful. I love that. I do too. I do too. And I, again, feel just the urge to try and, and you know, give that away as, as much as possible. So. Yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> so with your second diagnosis, what was the treatment? Were you able to, it sounds like you didn't have to do chemo for that one either. It was just like. No, it was the it was the mastectomy surgery at the end of January in 2017, and then there was about six weeks of you know two weeks where you've got those drains in, and you know can't do a lot of heavy lifting, can't lift you know really can't lift my arm up over my head, and mm-hmm. after those two weeks you start going to the the occupational therapist, and you know they help with some of that. And, you know, and then I did get out and walk some and then probably started running again sometime in March. So there was no radiation for that one? No radiation the second time. Interesting. So for Mm -hmm. stage zero, Mm -hmm. you had 33 radiation treatments. And then for stage one, you just had the mastectomy and the reconstruction. Yep. Yeah. And then taking the tamoxifen. And taking the tamoxifen. And so the implant was for the second diagnosis. Correct. All right. Yeah. Oh, my (laughs) goodness. You've been through a lot. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Here you are. It's 2020, and you said you're coming up on three years, right? Yes. Yeah, coming up on three years. So, you know, again, I kind of look at that five-year mark as, you know, hopefully I'll I'll graduate from that this time around and won't have any other... (laughs) reoccurrence. That's the plan. And I'm, I'm doing a lot of work to really, you know, both times I had a cancer diagnosis were both times of extreme stress. And yeah. I really think, you know, who knows? I, I, I've, I, I've, I have some breast cancer in my family. I did get the bracket testing, nothing there. But I really think a lot of it's tied to stress. And, you know, I'm just doing my best. You know, we can't eliminate stress from our lives. But, you know, I've really changed my focus um, on the things that are important and what I'll allow myself to be stressed about. How about that? Yeah. You know, because the things I was stressing about, you know, just they weren't important. It had a lot to do with how I looked, how I thought other people thought I looked, you know, and how that would make me feel. And, you know, none of those things are really that important. And, you know, and, and, you know, if I had the right job, if I was making, you know, enough money and all of that kind of thing. And, you know, we live a, we live a pretty simple life, but it's pretty sweet. And we get to do a lot of the things that we want to and travel and be with family and not travel right now, but, and uh, so, you know, those are the kinds of things we're, we're focused on. And it feels yeah. great. Yeah, it sounds like you're really clear about what you commit yourself to. Yeah. And far less of that decision-making is being run by the unconscious that's being run by the culture. And you're actually looking and saying, you want to know what? This is what I want to devote myself to. And this is what I've been devoting myself to. And like, why am I doing that? Like, no, like this life is precious. And I 
am going to devote myself to what matters to me, what speaks to me, what, what, what Corey and I thrive from, not on mm. these upsets. You know, there was times in my life where I'm you know, giving my attention to things that upset me. I don't do well talking politics. Every once in a while, I'll dabble in there. But then I'm like, you want to know what, Diane, how I show up with others when I speak, when I talk politics? Mm-hmm. Generally not my best side, you know? It's generally not my uh, the best me. I've recently been learning, or may I say I made a conscious decision to get really curious about other people's you know, political beliefs and, and values. And I don't... I don't bring that into this podcast sure. because I'm not interested in creating separation because politics is phenomenally effective at creating separation instantly. Uh, but my point is I recognized that I was giving my attention to trying to get someone to believe my point of view. And I'm like, yeah, good luck with that. So is everybody. And now <laughs> I'm just really curious about what has people have their point of view. Yeah. And, and then what I've been finding is that a lot of folks don't know. Yeah. Just like yeah. me, because why did I get curious about other people's point of view? Because I realized that I didn't know what my point, of, where my point of view came from. Yeah. You're pretty yeah. much, I learned it. And I'm like, okay, I am not going to devote my time and my energy to a conversation that doesn't forward the goodness and the kindness that people are yearning to be mm. in the world like look you know i mean i've been diagnosed twice and the amount of people who stepped up the number of people who stepped up and just gave and gave and gave and the guy dropped me off he drove me down to the you know 45 minute ride in the first diagnosis the hospital is 45 minutes away and this guy mm-hmm. gave me a 45 minute ride down he hung out for my treatments and he gave me a ride back and we got back i'm like thank you so much for giving me a ride and he looked at me he's like you're welcome but that was nothing he's like please ask for more like please mm. I want to do, I was just like, what? You know, people want to give and, you know. You know, you're absolutely right. They want to give. And, I, you know, I did get better at asking for what I needed. Mm-hmm. You know? And because. That takes something. Because people want to help. And they want, they, they want to show up, you know. So instead of being vague or like oh i don't need anything you know i would say no i need (laughs) i need somebody to come over and you know pick this up or you know vacuum the floor or you know something like that makes a big difference it sure does and then it gives people you know the opportunity to step into it like you know folks will say you know if you need anything let me know and for a lot of people I've spoken to, that's a really hard thing to do to let people know what you need. Yeah. You know? And you did. You were like, hey, you want to help me out? Great. I need this, this, and this. That's <laughs> exceptional. That's uncommon. Wow. And I had to learn that over the years. But it did. It, it has helped me in, again, trying to help other people. You know, I, I will say, you know, how about I bring a meal over this day? You know, instead of saying, do you want me to bring you a meal? you know what, hey, I'm going to do this, you know, can I come over at this time? Absolutely. Because then they can say, you know what, yeah, I really need that. Or, you know what, no, I, you know, we're covered, we're good. Yeah, I'm taking Monday off, and I want to know if you need any rides. Yeah. You know, to any appointments, or, you know, I can, can I bring you over a meal? Or, you know, I'm grabbing a smoothie, do you want one? You know, just, it's, 
it's difficult to, for some folks to ask. It seems like for a lot of folks to ask. And so when we, instead of saying, let me know if you need anything, you know, can I do this for you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then you find out, oh, you said no because you didn't want to tell me that you don't eat gluten. Oh, okay. Can I bring over some gluten-free lasagna? <laughs> right. Oh, I yeah. love it. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. Well, Diane, I have really enjoyed getting to know you and having this conversation. Oh, likewise. I really love what you've shared. You really express some things beautifully, and it's just, it's nice to have that conversation with somebody. I really appreciate you. Thank you. You are so welcome. All right. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. We'll see you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I truly hope this podcast was of value to you. Please subscribe and let your friends and family know they can find But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast, anywhere podcasts are made available. To learn more about my cancer survivorship coaching, please go to BertScholl.com. That's B-E-R-T-S-C-H-O-L-L.com. If you'd like to support But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast, please go to our Patreon page at Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash but seriously the cancer podcast and thank you so much for all you do see you all in the next episode and thank you so much for listening the intro and outro music you hear is the creation of saint kid you can find him on social media as the saint kid the purpose of this podcast is to provide a platform for individuals to discuss personal experiences with a medical diagnosis the host and guests are not medical professionals and the podcast is not intended to provide medical advice or psychological therapy Whenever there is a concern about mental or physical health, please consult a qualified medical professional.